Hello, yes, welcome to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 148, recording this on Tuesday the 28th of July 2015. I'm Steve Litchfield, with me, Rafe Blanford. Yes, hello everybody. Uh, we've got a lot to get through this week. We're going to have a bit of our usual discussion format, but also something a bit different this time, Steve. After a Twitter a request for any questions, we're going to answer a few listener questions, so that should be uh, fun. Plenty to get through this time, Steve. Yes, and uh, for all those fans of Rafe's voice, I should point out that... Uh, you can find them also on the 361 Degrees podcast, which many people will already know about. But also, if you enjoyed Ben Smith on that, note that Ben Smith was the guest. It's very incestuous. Ben Smith was the guest <laughs> on the phone show chat last weekend. And uh, maybe put a link in the show notes or in the comments. And uh, Mr. Blandford's name was name dropped rather a lot of times. So uh, there's plenty of uh, in-house rafery going on there. Oh dear, I better listen into that because uh, Ben has a tendency to make a few jokes at my expense on the 361 podcast and I've no doubt that some of that passed over to the phone show chat so I will listen to this week's episode with great interest or probably great horror to be honest. They were all compliments, don't worry, Ray. Excellent. That's always nice. <laughs> Anyhow, we have some questions submitted by Twitter for our panel, i.e. myself and Ray. But before that, a couple of news items. We did have Microsoft's, what they call like their Q2, well, they actually call them Q4 because they have a different fiscal year to the rest of the world. But Microsoft's quarter two 2015 results, essentially. 22 billion revenue, which sounds rather a lot, but because of a bit of bit of creative accounting accounting, and presumably not wanting to pay too much in tax and uh, they decided to quote write down Nokia devices and services even though they've still got a lot of Nokia people and a lot of the Nokia intellectual property so it's it's I, my kind of feel Rafe all these numbers they're, they're kind of pie in the sky and a, a company with numbers that high you can kind of decide what your profit and loss should be almost a, almost not on, on a whim is that, is that unfair? Uh, I think that's a little bit unfair you're essentially accusing Microsoft of of fraud there because there are some standing accounting practices <laughs> that do get followed and actually that will sometimes be reflected in the numbers they'll talk about uh frand and non-frand results and actually the non-frand ones are the ones that sometimes get manipulated to kind of take out things like write downs and one-off expenditures uh, and sometimes company point to those as sort of more realistic for the underlying performance but in terms of the kind of standard things um the, the numbers are accurate Although it's probably fair to say that some divisions will be categorised in such a way that they may seek to make things look better or worse. Um, actually, a recent example of this was from the Apple results where they didn't want to talk directly about the revenue for Apple Watch or the number of devices they've sold. So they lumped it into another category. And I'm not saying, you know, they do this to be particularly malicious or to annoy people. You know, there's often very good underlying reasons for this. And, you know, Microsoft has gone through the last years, I think about three or four different ways of arranging the numbers in different divisions, <laughs> partly uh, as a result of the various reorganizations that have gone on. Um, you know, the it, it is interesting that there was the 7.5 billion, um, I think it's the impairment charge was altogether, which is actually more than Microsoft paid for Nokia device and services in the first place. Bear in mind that that also carries the cost of uh, not just the kind of the lost value of the business and things like goodwill. It's also uh, some costs associated with restructuring as a result of um, what it's doing, which is obviously a lot of job losses and uh, refocusing whatever phrase you want to use on that business. So uh, it's fair enough. 
but there is an element they can choose when to do that within reason. And I suspect they've chosen to do that all in one go rather than do it over several quarters, which they could have done because it's going to make the future results look a bit healthier. Because of course, you know, it's not just happened in this quarter. It's arguably happened over the last, you know, well, since the acquisition and will continue to happen over the last few quarters. That's kind of reflected in the, the decline in mobile phone sales. So that's something we always expected to happen. Um, but looking at the actual numbers involved, it's, I think it's now down to just under 20 million non-Lumia phones. And uh, back in Nokia's heyday, obviously, it was significantly more than that. Uh, and that number of feature phones is continuing to crater effectively. It's not really surprising more and more people are switching to smartphones. Uh, the Lumia smartphone numbers are fairly steady. Um, 8.4 million, I believe it was, in the last quarter. That was sort of 10% up year on year which frankly is sort of holding steady, but goes back to what I said a couple of podcasts ago when we were talking about this big write-down, this strategy change, that Microsoft hasn't really broken through in the way that it was kind of expecting to, or at least it, that was kind of the projection of becoming a serious competitor in the smartphone market. Now, it doesn't mean it's not a sustainable business. The whole thing that they did with that, uh, with the job losses, the write-down, the strategy change was really about refocusing the business and moving it more towards profitability. Because of course, a business like that with the phones, there are essentially ongoing costs involved, um, the running costs of running that business. And obviously with more staff, those overheads go up. By cutting the number of staff, it costs less to run the business. You need to sell less phones to kind of break even, if you will. Um, and so it's all, all related to that. So, you know, Microsoft's headline figures um, in the last quarter weren't actually good because of the this write-down. Um you know, so basically they lost, I think it was $2 billion, which actually tells you rather a lot about how much money they make made if you ignore that, uh, that write down. So, you know, all in all, actually the results, if you look sort of deeper into them were pretty good. I mean, there was the uh, surface revenue growing. I think it was up about a hundred percent to something like 888 million. Now it's still relatively small when you compare it to you know, some of the money that, um, say Apple is making from its hardware, but nor can it be, uh, ruled out altogether you've got things like growing xbox revenue i think probably the real highlight though was adding uh, another three million subscribers to office 365 and actually the commercial on business the commercial numbers on the enterprise side have also been generally pretty strong um so you know, microsoft's results were kind of in line with expectations on the lumia side i think you could call the numbers a bit disappointing in the kind of the what was predicted the long-term context but no real surprises we're expecting it to be up slightly from last year to be around eight to nine million units and that's pretty much exactly what we got but it does make you realize exactly why they kind of needed that change because you know they weren't selling like apple does you know 40 plus million iphones you know they're clearly in a kind of a small part of the market um, i guess we're going to probably talk about this more in the question and answers because i'm sure it's going to be a popular topic um but, uh, you know, there hasn't been this kind of breakthrough. It's always difficult talking about this because, you know, the projections Microsoft, of course, never came out and said, we will sell 20 million phones. But there was certainly an expectation that the numbers would go up from um, when Nokia was uh, owning and running the business. Uh, and that really hasn't happened. It's, it's stagnated. It's been more about status quo. And, um, you know, the 10% up year on year is, of course, it's good. But when you look at the smartphone market as a whole, it's probably gone up a, a similar amount. So it's sort of just, you know, they're running on the spot, if you like, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember, I, th I think I, 
it was me that's saying that uh, there would be up to possibly 20% market share at one point, I predicted about a year ago in the smartphone world, which has obviously been uh, crazily, crazily wrong. But in my defense, there's been absolute uh, savagery in the smartphone world generally. All sorts of companies are having a terrible time. Um, Microsoft themselves have, have cannibalized its own, its own range. In the last month or so, we've seen, uh, well, this is leaked information, but apparently there was a, a Lumia 550, a 750, an 850, and they've all now been canceled. Um, the, we said in the last podcast that Microsoft was going to concentrate on um, sort of low-end budget models, enterprise-specific models, and flagships. And I think the, we're still going to see more in the 6 Series. Uh, we're still going to see a big, big push carrying on between the, behind the 640XL and maybe a 650XL, and, of course, the 950 and 950XL. So there is still hope there. And we talked again last week about that those flagships being kind of like a Nexus program, almost analogous to what Google's doing, whereby Microsoft's saying, look, we have the Windows 10 idea, the Windows 10 ecosystem, and this is how well it can work. Uh, at the low end and for businesses and especially for flagships. And yeah, let's put things in perspective. I mean, it, it, Microsoft sold 8.4 million Lumia smartphones in the last three months. Eight and a half million of anything is still quite a large number. If you'd put eight and a half million smartphones outside your flat rate, I mean, it would basically block block them up a couple of roads up, up towards the centre of London. Um, and if, if you think about it, the number of iPhones sold, people think, well, iPhone sales and Windows phone sales, the iPhones are outselling Windows phone 100 to 1, surely. It's actually only 5 to 1. Now, admittedly, there's a far, far higher profit for Apple in selling an iPhone than there is a, a Microsoft Windows phone. So in terms of the, 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 the profit and the numbers and the money, maybe 100 to 1 is fair. But in terms of just the sheer number of sales across the world, it's only actually 5 to 1, which is not perhaps as bad as most people might think. Yeah, I think it's probably, it's always important to remember to look at things like that. It's not out of sight. I mean, I would say probably a fairer comparison is looking at it against Android, where there's a similar full range of phones. You have to remember the iPhone is, uh, you know, top end. But even there, I mean, depending on what numbers you use, it's going to be about 20 to 1, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, and of course, I don't think anyone pretends it's not the third ecosystem and that, you know, the priority for any app development will be first. Well, that's a good question itself. Actually, Android or iOS and third will be uh, Windows. Uh, but yeah, it, it's not sort of... Um, cratering and falling away in the way that BlackBerry has. You know, it does seem that Windows and Microsoft has been able to establish this niche of around 10 million units a month, uh, sorry, a quarter. And as you say, that's, you know, there's it, quite an interesting question to be had around, you know, what what is a sustainable level for the ecosystem? And particularly with Windows 10 coming in, I think maybe the goalposts are moving slightly on that. Now, I, I don't think anyone who's you know, likes Windows Phone or has one of those devices was the question that it comes in behind iOS and Android. But there are too many people probably willing to write it off um, without any regard to you know, some of the advantages that it does have. And I think particularly in the enterprise world, uh, that can be true. Um, I mean, you mentioned there the 750 and the 850. I was kind of rather sad to hear that these had been cancelled, um, having heard whispers about them a while back. I've always had a bit of a, a thing for mid-tier devices. Actually, I think they often provide the best all-round value, and I'm very fond of my 830. So the fact there's not going to be a direct successor, um, it would seem, is a bit of a shame. Although I do wonder whether that kind of 7 and 8 series might end up being combined into one, and we will see, you know... Um, something in the enterprise line that you know has the high-end specs but just cuts the cost back uh, a little bit um, because actually it's kind of what the 640XL is in a way at the moment there is maybe room for something else um, and what what we don't really know yet is you know 
where that kind of middle category falls because it's clearly going to be high end and there'll clearly be something low end which we assume will be in the four or 500 series and then that middle line which is enterprise and actually 640 xl is the best representative of that at the moment and at the top end there'll be that presumably will be something like the 940 or the 950 um and there'll probably be an xl version of that uh so there is going to be a, a smaller product portfolio than before, but it's interesting, you know, Microsoft has been criticised for, and Nokia for many years for being too big, and now it's uh, perhaps been criticised for not being ambitious enough. It does it does feel to me like they've cut rather too much. I mean, I could have understand taking out maybe one of the 750 or the 850, um, but perhaps that's probably being a little unfair because what they've done is they've probably gone, you know, we're cutting the products that were on the roadmap with the old style. Now we're looking to do... You know, they talked about uh, three categories with a couple of products each year. So one could probably safely assume between five and six products. And again, we don't actually know quite how they're going to count variants um, within that, because, of course, you could have a dual SIM version and a single SIM version. That's, that's you know not been made entirely clear. So there's still some unanswered questions on that. But yeah, it's a, an interesting debate. I think one that's going to continue for a, a while to come. And I think the thing to say about these results in one sense, these are the, the last set under the old strategy uh, but it'll actually still apply to the next quarter and probably even the quarter after that only after that will we start seeing the impact um there is a a reasonable question to ask even be interested to get your opinion on this do you think that the kind of job losses and the kind of strategy shift that was announced uh, was sort of loud enough to permeate the public consciousness and will result in kind of a drop in sales of windows phone devices as people lose confidence in the platform um, much as actually you rightly predicted happened after uh, February 2011 with Symbian. Well, the situation in February 2011 with Symbian was more that the industry lost confidence. because yeah, absolutely. They, so they basically stopped selling Symbian phones, so the public basically just saw them dr- fall out from the shelves. I suspect that there may be an element of that where, again, the industry is losing confidence. Therefore, the, the, the high street shops, the networks, they're basically stocking less Windows phones, therefore the sales will go down. I don't think in, in either case that the public had any awareness at all. This is very much inside baseball stuff, and uh, you you and I can debate it for hours, and, we, and our loyal listenership <laughs> will know will, will listen, know all about it. But the man in the street hasn't got the foggiest idea, often which which operating system his smartphones are running, let alone follow the uh, the news in the industry. So let um, me re-ask that question. <laughs> Do you think it's going to permeate into the industry in the same way? Because I've had a couple of people say to me, you know, is that that's it for Windows Phone, isn't it? No, I don't think it actually have that big an effect at all because, as, as people will know, the overall sales haven't exactly been stellar, although they have been steady. Um, I was just, just going back to this 20% thing. I, I mean, I, that was a wild figure I plucked out of the <laughs> air. And that this is in the context, before people's jaws drop in America, this is in the context of, um, in the UK, the market share for Windows Phone has been around 10% or even over 10% at times in the, in the smartphone world. In Italy, it's over 15%, I believe. Um, and in many other markets around the world, it's up in that 10%, 15% right. bracket. But in America, of course, the, the the land of the free, the one where all these stats are kind of boiled down, it's down in the 1% or 2%. So it, this, I've never really seen in my years in the smartphone his, uh, industry such incredibly wide variation for one platform to be totally different 
in one market as to another market to by a factor of almost 10 in some cases. And that's just, that, that's just ridiculous. It makes it very hard for you and I, Rafe, to actually predict what's going to happen. All we can really tell is what we see around us in the high street shops in the UK and the networks in the UK where we live. Things that are totally different, obviously, evidently, in America, for example. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only thing I can say was similar is the way that Symbian didn't really catch on in the States in a meaningful way. But actually, it was really the States was the exception. It was the odd one out. Whereas with Windows 10, I think it's a, a lot more spread out because actually you see something similar in China. It's actually probably similar levels to the US or even lower. But then you see Windows Phone doing better in India. I, I'm not sure what the exact things are. I think it's sort of 6 or 7%. Um, and then in somewhere like France, again, it's sort of quite high up. So actually Western Europe is one of the sort of most successful markets for uh, Windows Phone. And it was interesting, Microsoft in making the announcement about that kind of strategy shift and all the job losses, said that it would be focusing on its kind of core markets, the most promising markets. I read that to mean that things like Western Europe would get, you know, probably services normal. And at the moment, we probably see five to six Windows Phones models on the shop shelves and operates at any one time. I'm pretty confident we'll see a similar number in the next 12 months. Um, and actually we'll drop off some of the variants or, you know, the variants will just not be there for some of the other markets. Uh, and what I mean by that is that that whole program will focus on the markets where Microsoft thinks it can kind of deliver profits and value. I think it may be a bit unfortunate if you're in a market where Windows Phone hasn't been so successful or where Microsoft doesn't think it's big enough to make a big push. That's where I think we, you know, the platform will lose sales in the next few years. It'll be really interesting to see um, whether they continue to put effort into the States, given it's their home market and given that it's probably the second biggest smartphone, well, maybe third biggest after India and China, yeah. Yeah. you know, they'll continue to put efforts in there. I'm sure they will um, because it's, their, as I say, it's their home market. But actually in one sense, the, the markets they really want to, you know, that have loved them are places like the UK, France, uh, Italy, and, you know, the UK, and, and you combine those together, and they're not, they're not small markets. There's a significant amount of uh, phones being shifted. And it's interesting that it does typically tend to be the lower end and mid-tier devices where, you know, you can actually see the difference when you're buying a phone. Um, whereas in the States, you might as well have a flagship because of the way the contracts are constructed. Um, you know, here in the UK, not only are there yeah. higher sales on pay-as-you-go, also, you know, you can get a low cost contract and get a kind of cheaper phone and be reflected on that. And, and we've said many times that actually a device like the 640 um, or the you know, the 730 or the 830 make for really great smartphones for the first time user who still wants something pretty good and capable, having a decent camera, nice screen, but doesn't want to pay the kind of five, six hundred pound cost for a, a flagship or be on the 50 to 60 pounds a month contract that require, you know, you're required to pay. And yes, a lot of the contracts now are unbundled in that the device cost, the monthly subsidy is separate to the line cost, but most people don't really see that. They just see I'm paying 60 pounds and getting a, an iPhone 6 or I'm paying 25 pounds and I'm getting a, a Lumia 830. And yeah. you know, th those cost differences definitely add up, you know, that total cost of ownership thing we've talked about so many times. Yeah, yeah. In terms of um, going back to the original question you asked me, in, in terms of the shop shelves here in the UK, I, I'd walk walk into one of the like car phone warehouse, and you typically see at the moment seven or eight uh, Windows phones, usually Lumia's, but occasionally an HTC, for example. Um, I would expect that to go down slightly with the reduction in the number of models. Obviously, I think by the by Christmas we might just be seeing two or three um, Lumias in the shops. Um, but who knows? I, obviously, no. the t things are on a slight downturn as Microsoft rationalizes, as I put it in the original original text. 
Um, but we we should see a, a increased focus. And I think the focus ultimately will be good for the platform, even if it's not actually represented in the sheer number of sales, which is, of course, the metric everyone loves to latch onto. Of course. And my, my prediction would be that we will see either a flatlining or a dip in sales because of that. And also there's a changing market conditions. But uh, I think the positive message around Windows 10 may also have a bit of a halo effect in, in some ways. And, you know, it's interesting. Is it better to sell a couple of million flagships versus a couple of million low-end devices? People are buying it because it's basically the best value. Here's a pretty easy answer there in terms of what will be healthy for the platform. Um, so, you know, I, I'm sure people will continue to be skeptical. And I think it's absolutely fine to make that argument. I think you can say that this is a turning point uh, and that, you know, it's the beginning of the end for Windows Phone, Microsoft or Mobile. But I think that's you know, it's very easy to be optimistic. And I think we're sometimes guilty of that, but it's equally easy to be negative and pessimistic. And actually what normally happens is something fairly boring in between the two. You know, I think a lot of people commenting on the smartphone industry or geeks who are interested in it kind of like the excitement of big, bad things happening. Um, uh, and, you know, the reality doesn't always reflect that. Now, even if you look at the decline of Symbian, that took a long, long time to actually uh, happen. And I think it's a very different situation now because it's not like a platform that's being switched off. In, in fact, if anything, Microsoft is even more committed to to Windows in its mobile form, whether that's from desktop Windows and the mobile influences that is, it has and its sort of mobile platform. Um, I was talking to a couple of other people about this and they said, does it, does it make it easier for Microsoft to kind of abandon its mobile platform ambitions in the future? Yeah, absolutely. You know, because there's kind of a very callous way of putting it. There's less people to fire and there's less business that they would have to uh, get rid of. Um, and it's pretty obvious they've had a, a plan B and I wouldn't even call it a plan B. It's just a sensible thing to do, making their software and services available on other platforms and actually <laughs> think of upsets and Windows Phone fans by making those versions available on Android and iOS before even they arrive on Windows Phone. And I expect that to continue, um, but that doesn't mean there isn't value in them having their their own uh, platform, especially if they've been able to cut the cost base and associate it more strongly with Windows 10. And you know, I think one thing we have learned in the mobile industry over the last decade is things can change very quickly. Now, I don't actually think Microsoft is suddenly going to become a massive player in the mobile platform space, but I, I would perhaps contend that exactly what mobile platform you're using will matter a lot less. And particularly if you're a company like Microsoft that has a lot of uh, software and services, particularly in the enterprise space and wants to be able to sell those, the, the, the counter argument to that is, um, Apple and Google are increasingly tying more and more features to the platform level and things like payment, it's things like um, Siri or Google Now, and they are becoming very important. The kind of the, these idea of appless app interactions, and actually what I mean by that is you're interacting with a third party service or an app outside of the kind of traditional app container. Uh, and you know they are increasingly also looking to tie their own services into that and it becoming very good so it's difficult then for a third party to compete with that so you know microsoft has sort of talked about porting cortana to android and we've seen leaks and information around that and to other platforms as well how well is cortana on android or ios able to compete with you know google now or siri and you know that's the other side of that equation but um part of me does go that the platform matters less in some ways although there is still significant value to be extracted from kind of having a piece of it, especially when it's an extension of your desktop efforts. Now that there is a lot more common code, 
I would imagine the cost for Microsoft, it's not running two separate platforms. It's doing Windows, which of course it's going to continue doing anyway, and then doing a mobile version of that that maybe requires an extra 25% effort rather than you know that whole same effort again. But that's a, that's a technical question that I'm probably not very qualified to answer, but it is one that's worth thinking about when you start going, you know, why would Microsoft continue doing this? What's the cost you know, equation for them to continue doing so? Yeah, yeah. Let's bump on with some questions. We, so we did want to open this up to the community before we kind of had a mini break for the summer on the podcast. Um, Julian Grail, which is a, a name that's somehow familiar, says, given the age of the Lumia 1020, how long will diehard camera fans wait for a replacement before moving on? I think I'll take this one first, Rafe, if I may, me being the camp, Mr. Cameraman. Now, there are two two unique aspects to 1020. One, of course, is the fact that it's got a large sensor and uh, you know high-quality images. The other, of course, is the fact that I've mentioned many times it's got this proper Zen and flash. Now, I would argue that devices like the LG G4 and, and Samsung Galaxy S6, I think they've probably got a long way now towards matching the 1020 in terms of sheer image quality and resolution. Many of these devices are coming in now at 16 and 20 megapixels. Um, so clearly, if anyone has, uh, wants to carry on that kind of resolution and quality, they've probably already moved on. They've probably moved on to one of the devices I've just mentioned. However, we, it absolutely amazes me, Rave, that no other manufacturer, apart from Samsung with its Galaxy K Zoom a couple of years ago, no other manufacturer in any camera phone has actually latched onto that other single unique selling point that still keeps people to this day writing to me. Says, Steve, Steve, I still use a Nokia 808. Still, I, Steve, I still use a Nokia N8, uh, an N82, a Lumia 1020, because it's got a proper flash. And the number of times that comes in useful to filling in indoor shots and nighttime shots and party shots and whatever, um, it's still a unique selling point. I can't believe that no other Android manufacturer has even experimented with that. And I think until we see it, um, Microsoft come out with something that also has Xenon, I don't think the 1020 actually will be superseded. And I, I'm f- fully resigned now at this point to keeping my 1020 going for until 2020, if, if need be, because it's still going to be unique. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a great question, this. Um, I, my honest answer is that I think most people have already moved on, even the diehard fans, and will probably have a, a second device, but might well keep the 1020 around for those uh, special occasions. And I apologise to anyone who's continued to use the 1020 as their main device, because I know there are some of you out there, because I and hear me. from you occasionally on email. And yes, <laughs> Steve. Well, Steve, <laughs> I mean, I, I basically thought you could probably just change this question to, given the age of the Lumia 1020, how long before Steve waits for a replacement before moving on? Because he's basically yeah, exactly the die-hard, <laughs> die-hard camera fan. Uh, You've already answered the bit about the camera itself. I actually think the technology is pretty much caught up uh, there, and if not, will certainly happen in the next year or so. And it's interesting, when uh, the 1020 and the 808 were announced, they did talk about it being sort of three to five years ahead, and coincidentally, that's not actually that far off how old those devices are. With the the flash, I do agree that it's a unique thing. And we've seen a couple of devices um but not with the care of a, a full product router and sort of a mainstream device, if, if you will, have it. Yeah. Uh, I think the LED flashes are getting closer and closer to what the Xenon could achieve. And actually, Steve's commented on this in a couple of editorials. And so what that means is the number of times when the Xenon flash is absolutely necessary is slowly reducing. And I expect that to continue as LED flash technology continues to improve over the next uh, few years. Uh, It will never produce quite the same results because obviously it's coming from a, a different technology. But the software and the processing and that power of the LED and the ability to kind of get the timing of those flashes down as well as to have multiple tones as well which is a very interesting development 
in some cases an LED flash will actually be superior to a xenon flash because of the degree of control you have over it being able to set essentially the power levels more easily uh, and so I don't actually think we're that far off seeing a place where you can make a, a reasonable argument that the LED flashes are better than the Xenon flashes as they're equipped on on those older devices. Now, don't get me wrong. I think if you put an up-to-date Xenon flash and some of the, use some of the technology that's actually being used to update the LEDs, uh, quite possibly you could get there. But given the trend for the thinner phones and kind of the cost thickness that the Xenon tended to have, not always, but there was certainly a factor in that, uh, I just... I just don't expect to ever see it on a mainstream device. And the 1020 itself wasn't really a mainstream device. So I think if they're really waiting for that replacement, I don't think they'll ever see one. So they could be waiting a very, very long time. But I think perhaps be a bit more rational about it and say, okay, the optics and the sensor size have kind of already got there. And then the, the flash is getting there. And there are a whole bunch of ancillary benefits and other benefits that actually come from having a more up-to-date device. And I think the most important of those are to identify is performance, things like shot-to-shot time and start-up time, plus, of course, you know, having a more up-to-date phone that's a bit faster for all the other use cases. Um, but the 1020, I think, in some ways will remain pretty unique as one of those devices that was, for you know, pro-level photographers, they were able to get just some amazing results out of it. Um, and if you like, the weight has now moved on and uh, camera technology is so good in all the other departments that it doesn't stand out as much as it used to and even if they did produce a, a 1030 with all the latest technologies it wouldn't be that sort of generational leap or that big gap ahead of all the standard camera phones i think they'd be a lot closer together and so there's less reason to produce a 1030 light device and of course now with um, microsoft focusing the portfolio we're certainly not going to see it from them yeah, it's very hard to explain the benefits of something like the Lumia 1020 to the man in the street. They can see it's got a nice big black camera island. They can see it's got a you know a proper flash. They might be quite impressed, and they think, "Wow, 41 megapixels!" But in actual try, in fact, trying to explain to them what oversampling means and trying to explain the the, the lighting differences uh, and the exposure differences for xenon versus LED, it's way over most people's heads. What most people actually want to do is just to point to any particular scene and get a good result. And, and one big fact you didn't mention there, which is also relevant, I think, is that the, the current camera flagships, things like the LG G4 and Galaxy S6, they come with much larger apertures. The, yeah. the optics mm-hmm. are physically getting larger in these modern phones to the point where even in a, a situation which isn't lit very well, they can do quite an awful lot in terms of letting light in and then processing the, the light that does come in, either through multiple exposures or just clever software. So there are other ways to skin most cats, but I'm still going to hang on to my 1020 yeah. until the cows uh, go home. And, and what I would say, just as a final one on this question, is 2016 is actually the year when I expect to see the core things outside the flash um, on the kind of the flagships and the very best camera phones actually exceed what the 1020 was arguably we're actually there with something like the lg g4 and i think the things like the samsung s6 and the iphone 6 plus kind of float along the edge of that but next year i think there will be a, a kind of a clear-cut difference for the majority of people at least yeah yeah lg did some amazing things with the g4 sensor and i'm, I'm still waiting for someone to adequately explain the the magic that they, <laughs> they achieved there i just i can't understand how they've done what they've done but uh, doubtless all will be explained when someone saws one and a half as we saw many times with the uh, the Nokia optics. Um, Christopher Mainland says, uh, in the last podcast, you mentioned the S4 processor-based uh, Lumias uh, and possible problems on Windows 10 Mobile. He says, what about the 1320? 
tablet, which has a 1.7 gigahertz S4, i.e. it's overclocked with respect to the 925, 920, and 1020. Uh, it's a very good point. He also says, I was listening to podcasts uh, while dry, drying dishes just now. My 1320 fell in the sink in the water. It still lived. So well done to the 1320. <laughs> Most of these Nokia designs tend to be fairly robust in that regard. Um, yeah, the, the, I, the S4-based devices, they don't have a problem per se with Windows 10 Mobile. I've got it on several here, including the 1020, and it works reasonably well, given the fact that it's not actually fully optimized yet. And, uh, you know, they haven't taken it all the debug code. We haven't got a final build of Windows 10 Mobile yet. It's more a case of... I've been noticing, as I've mentioned several times over the last couple of years, that the, the newer applications and the OS itself, and newer services, are being written and optimized better for the X100 series of processors. So although most things will work quite quite well on the 1320 and the 1020 and the 925 and the 920, and most people wouldn't actually notice a problem, if you're actually trying to benchmark stuff and and look at this, this smoothness and the speed w- with which things come up, you will see better behavior on the X100. For example, I noticed I was playing around with with the Lumia um, 830 the other day, Rafe, and um, just trying out a few games and a few applications with respect to the 1020, and it's amazing. Um, the 830 was faster than 1020, and then I started comparing the 830 to the 930 with Snapdragon 800, and I thought, well, the 830 is going to be you know, half the speed or <laughs> most of the operations. In actual fact, it was very, very close. Uh, these, these, The code being written in the Windows Phone, Windows 10 Mobile environment, is is so well optimized for this Snapdragon X100 series of processors that um, that's clearly the way of the future. That's the way things will go. I don't think he'll have a problem on the 1320. I don't think, Christopher, you need to sell your Lumia 1320, but uh, anyone out there with a 640 or 730 or an 830, I think they're, they're sitting pretty because Windows 10 Mobile will just be very, very smooth on those. That's right. I think it's a, a continuum of these things. In the 1320s, actually, towards the middle or the middle upper end, in those terms, I remember doing some original benchmarking on it, noting that it was actually a bit better than some of the other S4 processors. Uh, and as you say, Sue, it will very much depend on what you're running. And, you know, the core stuff, the most important stuff, Microsoft will have tested, but there will, you know, will be some areas where you may notice uh, a difference. But you know, Windows Phone has a, a deserved reputation for sort of good performance right across the range of processors. And we've talked in the previous podcast about the when we're talking about the S4 uh, having problems, we were really looking at the much lower end devices rather than kind of something like the 1320 that came uh, quite yeah. late on. And so, yeah, I, I agree it shouldn't be a problem, although we haven't tested it directly. Yeah, the other thing is the 520 I had most of the issues Indeed. with. And even, even that wasn't unusable, just it took rather a long time to render a web page. <laughs> um, now, uh, Gavin... Uh, Colin says, with Windows Phone 10, I think it's Windows 10 Mobile, ordinary ordinary users can create apps. Is this realistic? And if so, any clever ideas? I presume Rafi's talking and th- the ways in which Microsoft have enabled users to take, you know, RSS feeds and HTML5 websites and package those as applications. Do you think that's what he's getting at? Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things that are coming in with uh, Windows 10 and Windows 10 Mobile that allow you to uh, package up websites more easily and also indeed port from other platforms from android and ios as well um uh, i'd actually talk about something called app studio which we've mentioned in the past and that's probably the easiest way to create a windows phone app and you can use that now and presumably it will also be around for windows 10 mobile any of these kind of 
creator app with kind of zero code effort are a bit misleading because typically what you're doing is filling in some templates and you can add a bit of flexibility by making more plugins and sort of modules available for that sort of thing and actually can achieve some pretty effective results um, but to my mind they are kind of similar to creating a mobile website it's just you're wrapping them up in an app format and actually sometimes they're running native code and indeed stuff from microsoft app studio is doing that um, and so it's absolutely possible for an ordinary user to create apps, but they tend to be ones that are content based rather than having, you know, native functionality. And where they do have the native functionality, it's things like integrating into the sharing menu or something like that. Um, you can then, in theory, do some more development with the, some of the web based tools. And, uh, I'm not an expert in this area, but it's actually very similar to what you can do at the moment with a technology called PhoneGap. Um, or Cordova for the open source version. And with that, you can effectively write your app in a web page. And so if you're familiar with HTML, JavaScript, and various other technologies, it, it's in theory possible to do quite sophisticated apps. And those phone gap apps, and it's part of a category of apps that are generally referred to as hybrid, sitting between web and native, um, you can actually do some quite sophisticated stuff because you can also use plugins which allow you to get at native functionality in a certain amounts built into PhoneGap. Um, and there are additional plugins available that allow you to sort of get down to a lower level. Um, and again, for the, co- the content focused apps, they work very well. Once you start doing stuff at a lower level, um, that, you know, isn't abstracted out, if you like, then I think those hybrid applications sometimes suffer from a performance and sometimes from a design point of view. And actually the effort you have to make getting them to feel native can be um, counterproductive in terms of the sort of time and effort involved. Um, I think there are some other Windows 10 initiatives for sort of making these apps more easy, but I need to check them out. So perhaps this is a topic we can come back and uh, answer for Gavin in in a future episode. Moving on with the next question, Russ Varley says Microsoft is reducing its model range in Windows Phone Market and Windows 10 Mobile. Uh, so why would another manufacturer across the world step in to fill the gaps? I'm presumably he's getting at the fact that if Microsoft doesn't think there's a, a market for some of these, these, these models, these niches, then, then why should other manufacturers leap in? Any, any thoughts, Ray? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and the simple answer is they, they probably wouldn't, not in the sense that I think uh, Russ means here, um, because the obvious question, if Microsoft doesn't have the confidence to invest in a kind of portfolio of devices and it's its own platform, why should anyone else? But, of course, this is kind of a rock and a hard place thing because they've been criticised for not leaving any gaps and part of the reason all the devices are you know, Lumia devices in the Windows phone world is because, you know, why would anyone try to compete against that? And um, actually Nokia had just the same problem in the Symbian world. Uh, I think there's a slightly more nuanced answer to this as well in that um, I think devices will emerge where there are gaps. And we've kind of already seen this with some of the the third and fourth tier manufacturers producing Windows phone devices and and selling them through different channels. So for example, uh, here in the UK, Argos, which is uh, uh, a, a big retailer has actually just made a new Bush phone available. It's a Windows phone device. I think it retails for £59. And they've obviously seen an opportunity there to sell through Argos as a distribution channel. And uh, you know, it's a Windows phone device. It you know, has all the benefits of being one of those low-cost devices that still 
pretty friendly for a first-time smartphone use. And so, you know, real benefits to it. Those who are a bit more savvy would probably go, oh, no, you should get a, a 535 or a, a 640. And I think that's a fair comment. But, of course, not everyone shopping in those channels necessarily has that knowledge. And I think the same applies in other markets. So, for example, in France, um, you quite often see these third- and fourth-tier manufacturers making them available through supermarkets or high street uh, chains that are selling smartphones and you're able to reach a different market that way it's harder to see why someone like samsung or htc or sony would jump in and provide a windows phone model unless there's actually demand from the operator and they're asked to do so but of course maintaining a team that's capable of producing a windows phone device you know uh, is an ongoing commitment arguably even with the steps microsoft has taken to make it easier i wonder whether we might see some specialists emerge in the enterprise space particularly if you know, Windows 10, um, both in its mobile and desktop form, does does well there. But I think the honest answer is I don't really expect to see um, other manufacturers come in. But then again, you know, if it does well, it, it will be entirely down to kind of operator and consumer demand. I think realistically, though, I, I don't see that happening, which, you know, is one of the reasons why I think people can quite reasonably um, make an argument about being pessimistic about the future of the platform but uh, uh you know it's not a it's not a simple either or um here yeah. and you know we will continue to see these third and fourth tier manufacturers producing the devices uh because you know it's been apparent that some of them have actually now gone through a couple of generations and they've actually done okay with them yeah um, you know especially when they're producing the android devices anyway and switching them over to also be windows phone is relatively little little cost because of the steps microsoft has been making with these reference designs yeah i do wonder actually whether there's a parallel i mean in the android world we had google's nexus um, smartphones and i think they the nexus has kind of inspired a generation of uh, manufacturers like oneplus for example coming along with a similar um, fairly vanilla android experience on hardware that wasn't premium priced and actually making a go of it and i'm wondering whether things like the Illumina 950 and 950 xl if the hardware and experience is good enough um that people other manufacturers will say hang on a minute yes we, we could do something along these lines we've got a great camera and a great chassis and a great chipset and great design and we could knock it out for 200 pounds less than than microsoft mm-hmm. is doing with their flagships let's enter the windows phone ra- race and the, the, the eco's ecosystem and see how we do i I think that's yeah it's perfectly reasonable as is you could also say that you know uh the lumia line has had lots of kind of variants if you look at something like the uh 530 series you know there was a 535 and there's sort of been others in that cheap range and you can talk about the 430 as well i guess um i think it's possible that we may see uh some of these manufacturers come along and produce what are effectively variants of you know, the five Lumia devices do end up being produced, but are just tuned to a specific market. And it might be around, you know, taking a bit of cost off um, just by being outside of Microsoft and being able to get lower uh, production costs in some ways, or by adding in a, a dual SIM option, or by just changing the memory configuration or the design slightly. And you could argue that actually there will be a few more gaps because um, you won't have Microsoft trying to be uh, as it talked about in its its recent announcement, trying to be you know uh, independent, whole scale mobile phone manufacturer, it's now concentrating on a, a few areas. So arguably, that does leave some extra gaps for other people to exploit. Personally, I feel that's probably a slightly um, rose tinted view uh, of the way things will work. Finally, we have a question from Leon Buxton, who says, "How does the all about Windows Phone team stay so optimistic?" <laughs> I, mean, I think I have. To, I think it's a great question. I think I'd have to say for me, Rafe, it's the fact that uh, just as we'd had in the um, 
2010-2011 with Symbian, really. And, and everyone's looking down on Windows Phone. It's the underdog. The Brits love an underdog. I'm a British and proud of it. And I, I like supporting a platform which is struggling, which is evolving, which is changing, where things get fixed daily. I mean, I, I actually enjoy, enjoy watching it. I enjoy being part of it. What about you? Well, I think for me, I would say uh, I don't actually remain directly linked to the success of the platform making me happy or sad. Of course, you know, I like Windows Phone and want to see it do well. Um, but part of the reason I remain optimistic is because it's still something that's good for me personally. And so I enjoy using the Windows Phone device um, and I get a lot out of it and I can see future developments, you know, with Windows 10 Mobile coming down the road. If if that wasn't there, you know, perhaps I would be a little bit more pessimistic about things. But also, you know, I, I think the vision that Microsoft has for the kind of wider Windows ecosystem is really really good and actually it's healthy to see something that's a little bit different to um apple's view and to google's view um but i think it's also probably fair to say um you know i think inevitably on the podcast we probably come across as pretty positive towards windows phone and we're talking mainly about windows phone if we're talking about it in a wider context and having android and ios come up all the time i think it you know we we might give it five percent of the time but this is dedicated to the the platform and so uh, you know, there is perhaps a, a little bit of being inside the bubble and blinded by that. Um, but I, I think uh, Leon in the question here is in, implying that we probably shouldn't be so optimistic. And that's perhaps not an unreasonable thing to say, given everything that's happened recently. Um, but yeah, I, I, and, and like Steve, um, I do, I guess, have a soft spot for the underdog. It's what I've spent a lot of time talking and, and writing about over the years. And so, you know, I, I'll keep doing so. Um, but probably it's helpful to set in the context of both Steve and I use other devices as well. We're not sort of just on Windows Phone. But um, given that we actually do have the choice, I think it's quite telling that both of us still continue to use a Windows Phone device as our, our main one. Um, we're very fortunate in that also have access to Android devices and an iPhone and things like that. Um, so it's not actually that difficult to remain optimistic Um <laughs> because there's actually still a lot to look forward to. And, and for example, right now we're looking forward to uh, the next set of flagships. Um, and maybe it's just become situation normal in the last few years of one disaster after another has happened. But every time there's been a disaster, you know, I'm talking about things like uh, the decline of Symbian, which actually was inevitable and we knew was coming, um, sort of Microsoft buying, Nokia would probably be the, the next step and then the most recent one. Um, in all of that, there's always been new models to look forward to. And now, if you're into mobile, actually, in one sense, the platform itself doesn't matter much. I mean, it's what you do with it and the, the memory it produces and kind of the, you know, I think it's fair to say my life has been immeasurably enriched by owning a smartphone. It probably doesn't make a lot of difference which platform it had been from. And I you know, might look back at photos I've taken or experiences I've been able to have as a result, or, you know, it's just made my life easier in a couple of ways. And you, know, it's often easy to forget what the access to ubiquitous communication and ubiquitous communication, having the web on your phone and a whole bunch of apps and entertainment and all that has done. And that's something that really has appeared, you know, in a relatively short term. It doesn't matter what platform you're on. I think those of us who have lived through that just will almost inevitably have a somewhat optimistic yeah. view because you know, you're excited about what comes next always. Yeah. And and it's a great, great thing to be able to talk about and have so many people listening into the podcast and share their thoughts with us. And uh, I guess probably that's ultimately the reason I, I remain optimistic in general. Um, uh, you probably can tell from the recent tone in the podcast that um, 
you know, I'm sort of caveating the future of Windows Phone somewhat because, yeah, it's not as uh, healthy as it was, but um, it's not exactly been healthy for quite a while now. So uh, uh, maybe I'm just used to it. <laughs> I remember just in the context of me saying that uh, even when I w- was writing, we were writing about Symbian, we considered it an underdog, and people said, well, what do you mean underdog, Steve? Add 60% market share. But that's in the smartphone world, you have to remember back in 2008, 2009, 2010, um, the smartphones themselves were the underdogs. Absolutely. The vast majority of people had feature phones. So the very fact that we were writing about smartphones meant we're still supporting an underdog. And here we are. In 2015, we still supporting an underdog. Um, I could, have, of course, so people talking about optimism. I could also equally write uh, articles like 10 things that depress me about this, the smartphone world." But who wants to read about that sort of moaning, whinging? I do like to think provide articles, provide inspiration and constructive, constructive advice and optimism. I think that's what people want to read at the end of the day. Yeah, that's um, absolutely right. You kind of, and it's living on on the edge in one sense. Um, and you can do this exactly the same on Android and iOS. Um, and certainly for us, I think it's fair to say we're really familiar with the platform. And so that gives us kind of an innate sense of interest in it and optimism that perhaps people who don't use it day in, day out have. And I think we've, we've spoken pretty convincingly in podcasts over the last couple of months about how Windows 10 has sort of caught our imagination. And certainly that mobile first, cloud first thing is really interesting to me because I don't think anyone else has, has sort of captured in quite the way that Microsoft has. Now, you know, I, I suppose if I was attempting to be completely balanced, which in all fairness, we, we don't always because this is a Windows phone podcast, I'd say, yeah, that could actually happen on another platform as well. Um, but things like uh, Continuum, which you know we'll, we'll talk about in a future podcast, I think, in more detail, are really very interesting to me. And so it's quite easy to think, oh, that's a technology I really want to want to try out. Um, and I suppose one of the other factors here is I think the big thing that people always put up against Windows Phone is apps. And I don't think they're wrong to do that. Uh, but for me, actually, the smartphone is about a lot more than that. In fact, apps are in one sense less important. I mean, don't get me wrong, I enjoy a good app as much as the next person, but past a certain point in having the communication, and it's for me it's things like uh, WhatsApp, text messaging, email, and access to the web, those are arguably for me the most powerful things. And some of the other stuff, it's not not without value, but I suspect I place less of an emphasis on on apps and other people in my personal use of smartphones. Um, you know, I, I get excited by interesting apps, but as it comes to using them day in, day out, you know, like all the reports say, most people, uh, well, the average install is 26 apps and most people only use, I think it's eight ab- apps, um, you know, on average on a regular basis. And I certainly would probably not fit into that because I've installed a lot more apps than that and use a lot more on a daily basis. But it's just interesting. Um, the thing that's always held up as its biggest weakness is something that perhaps is of less direct interest to me. Uh, so that might be a factor as well. It's such a great question. I'll have to think about it a bit more and we'll uh, maybe come back to it in a future podcast. Yeah, yeah. Now, you may have noticed, listener, that at, uh, this is we've rambled on for rather longer than normal. This is because um, we're having a bit of a summer break. We wanted to give you a bit of extra value, as it were. We're going to be away for a couple of weeks, possibly, while Rafe and I recharge our batteries in different ways. But um, thanks to you for your uh, listenership over the, rest, the first half of 2015. And we'll look forward to it again in the second half and i shall sign off and let rafe do the goodbye yeah absolutely thank you for that steve we will be back in about two weeks time hopefully um maybe a little bit of a delay after that uh, 
but make sure you tune in and there are after all sort of 147 back episodes that you can listen to if you get desperate but if <laughs> i were you i would go and download the phone show chat listen to the latest episode of that maybe also something like 361 podcast the voicemail that's done by our friends uh stefan and james and actually there's a lot of great mobile podcasts out there and if you've got a recommendation let us know and we'll talk about it on the uh, future show especially if you're recording one and want to give us a plug as well we always like those kind of uh mutual backsets but yeah i think it's a great place to uh draw the show to an end because it's we've been wittering on as always love to get your comments thank you everybody for sending various questions by email and twitter and don't forget to check back next time Cheers for now.